Hello and welcome. It's been a little while. We still love you. I'm Stacy. I'm Coulter. And this is, of course, Any Crime at All. We're so sorry that it's taken a bit of time to get another one out here, but I've been not well. So, but I'm getting better now. I think my iron is coming up because I feel a little bit better. So, but uh, yeah, you get real fucking tired with this uh, anemia bullshit. So, yeah. So, what's new and exciting, Colt? Uh, you know me, just roaming the streets, thugging. Yeah. That's what I do, you know, hustling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anywho, moving past that. <laughs> um, I have a bit of a story for you here. And I know you've heard this name before. Yes. Yes, because I've talked about it. Did you read the book when I read it before? I read both books. Oh, did you? When I was a kid. Yeah. And I watched the television movie. Yeah. Oh, the who's the who plays Billy in that? Uh, he's a great Canadian actor. I okay, you keep talking. I'll actor. look it up. Um. Yeah. So there are two books. I couldn't find the. Well, I could find it, but it's like really expensive, and I just can't afford it right now. Uh, but I did get the first book, and like I said, I owned both of them many, many years ago. Um, the books are by Brian Lavallee, L-A-V-A-L-E-E, -E, with an Exantegu, I think. Is it Exantegu? Uh, at the, at the end on one of the E's. Um, the books are called Life with Billy, and the second book is called Life After Billy. Um... Now, for the second part, I am going to find as much as I can uh, regarding life after Billy, and I will put that in the second part. As far as I know so far, it's only going to be two parts, but you guys know what I'm like. I get pretty invested, and I want you guys to know every little fucking detail, you know, because uh, this is a very... A very complex case, a very sad case, and a very angry-making case. What's up, Colt? Stephen McHattie. Stephen McHattie. Great, great Canadian actor. Amazing. He, he also won the Gemini Award for Best Lead Role in uh, Miniseries. For? For playing Billy. For Life with Billy? Yeah. Nice. And also she won, too, for playing Jane. Yeah. Who, who played her? Nancy Beatty. I don't think I know that name. Like, I remember that woman who played her, but... Stephen McHattie, what show was he on? Sorry, before we get into this. Was he not on, uh... Oh, God. What's that? It's like an iconic Canadian show. Having to do with, like, Green Gables. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh... And of Green Gables, if nobody knows what I'm talking about. Trying to find it. Uh, Emily of New Moon. That's oh, what he that's was on. the one he was on. Okay, that has nothing to do with Anne of Green Gables. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't really watch that. Mum watched that a lot. I didn't really watch. I that saw one. a lot of it because of Nan. I watched that other one, the Anne of Green Gables one. I, I Road to Avonlea. Road to Avonlea. Oh man, I love that show. And then wind it by back. Um, if anybody knows Sarah Pauly, that's where she got her big start. Yeah, she, Sarah Pauly, who just won an Oscar. Yeah, she was so cute. And now she's fucking amazing. Like She's like a director and writer everyone wants to work with. Yeah, she's just amazing. Anyway, let's get on to the story of Jane Stafford. Jane Stafford. 
So most Canadians in my age group and older have probably heard this story or at the very least are familiar with the name Jane Stafford. However, do any of you know the full story of this courageous woman? I do. <laughs> well, I've researched my ass off, so let's get into it. Literally, she is no ass. Really? It's very uncomfortable the way I'm sitting right now. Um, so, my computer's doing that again, Coulter. I blame you. It only ever malfunctions when we're doing a podcast, Oh, I know. Oh, wow, that was very, uh, Monica, wasn't it? It was very Monica. (laughs) Jane Hirschman, that was her maiden name, of course, was born on January 25th, 1949, to parents Maurice and Gladys Hirschman. Now, I'm going to start calling them Morris, because I have an uncle, Maurice, but he hates being called Maurice. Uh, so I'm just going to call him Morris. The Hirschmans, with Jane's older brother, Douglas Edward, lived in a little coastal town in Nova Scotia, Canada, called Brooklyn. Liverpool was the closest big city, and it is about 143 kilometers south of Brooklyn. What are you laughing at? <laughs> no sleep till Brooklyn popped in my head. <laughs> like it'd be about Brooklyn, Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah. They're just carrying beers and yeah. lobster and shit. The Beastie Boys in fucking <laughs> Brooklyn, Nova Scotia. <laughs> oh, boy. Gladys was a homemaker, and Morris worked at a sawmill until he joined the army in 1950. He was soon sent to Korea, first for a 13-month tour, then a six-month tour. A 13-month tour. So that's a year and seven months in total. Wow. And Korea was a... That was that was a bloody fucking war, man. Or, sorry, police action. It was a war, come on. I know. By 1952, he was home for good and became a chef in the army. In 1953 and 54, respectively, Jane's two younger sisters were born. Were born Mona Diane and Sandra Rose. That's a pretty name, Sandra, Sandra Rose. Rose. Yeah. Uh, when Jane was only five years old, She saw her dad fighting with local cops who were trying to get him into a squad car. Morris had been drinking and fighting at a restaurant when someone called the cops. Of course, someone always has to call the fucking cops. Um, Yeah. Regarding this incident, Jane said, quote, I'm sure that's when I had my first feelings of being a lost little girl, not knowing what to do or where to go, unquote. Families in the armed forces tend to have have to move around a lot, and the Hirschmans were no exception. Morris was sent to Truro, Nova Scotia. That's hard to say. Truro. I've heard of Truro. In May of 1954, where the family lived off base in a small two-story house. Now, that's weird for them to live off base because uh, you don't have to pay on the base. Yeah. So. Why were they living off base? Maybe there was no room on the base. Maybe a lot of families do just decide to live off base. So are you telling me that all a lot of the army is just freebasing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> I like that. Um, Jane was only six, but she recalled that the wide staircase leading to the second floor became her favorite place in the house. She called it her hideout. Oh, cool. Apparently there was a little like... Um, indent into the wall kind of oh you know what i mean yeah i played a video game where i had something like that ah (laughs) life uh 
Life is Strange, maybe? I don't know. Oh, okay. Morris began to drink quite heavily in Truro. And this is when he began to physically abuse Gladys. So now Jane is seeing this okay. from a very young age. He never beat the children, but he was rather strict with them. For example, everything had to be in its place. The children were never allowed to leave anything on the floor for very long. Army shit? Uh, yeah. Army shit, OCD. Yeah, probably a bit of both, right? OCD before anyone really talked about it. Yeah. And he probably had wicked OCD before he ever got into the well, army. Maybe other so. mental health problems too, because yeah. it was just that shit wasn't addressed back then. Yeah, could at be. all. Yeah, and not many people start drinking heavily just for no reason. You know what I mean? No. Not many people choose to be an addict for no reason. Like no one chooses to be an addict, but you know what I mean? Like no, yeah, I know. I feel you, dog. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, homie. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Jane said of her father. Quote, at night, I used to sit alone on the stairway, especially when they were fighting. I could see them, but they couldn't see me. He would stay up all night drinking, go to work, do his job, and come home and start the vicious cycle again. Unquote. The family were by no means rich, but they never went hungry, and most of their clothes were secondhand, which is fine. Yeah, a lot of hand-me-downs, too, probably. And You know how many treasures you can find in second-hand stores? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. In fact, Gladys was quite the seamstress, so she could make new clothes out of old clothes. Oh, uh, okay. Um, one day, Jane got a brand-new pair of white knee socks, and she was excited. That was, I guess that was the style then, right? It was probably so cute, too. Like, classy, almost, like. Yeah. Yeah. And she was such a little girl. These were brand new. They weren't hand-me-downs. Because you wear the... You secondhand. See, you see in old movies and stuff, they're wearing, like, those knee socks with a dress. Yep. And shit like that. Yep, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, that same night, Morris and Gladys were fighting. So Jane took up position on the stairs. Um, when the fighting was over, she went to bed, not realizing she'd left her knee socks on the stairs. Her dad found them and burned them in the wood stove. That's horrible. All the while blaming Jane for just leaving them lying around. Oh, why do people have to be that way? Like... Yeah, I know. So, you may think that this is just a little thing, but... When you come from a family of not much, and then you get something like as little as socks that are brand new, and she just loved them, and then to have that happen to them, that's a bit of a trauma, and that's going to stick with you, you know? You know what that story like, made me think of? What? Uh, Grandpa, when he got his hockey stick... Oh, yeah. That's Christmas. the saddest story. They were very poor. Yeah, yeah. So my, my dad's family was, like, extremely poor. And this one year, they got a hockey stick. Him and his two brothers got a hockey stick and a bag of jelly beans for Christmas. And, of course, Canadian boys, they loved hockey. Yeah. So they all went out to play hockey. My dad played a little bit, and then he took his first slap shot, and the fucking stick broke. Christmas morning. 
That must have been heartbreaking oh, for him. It had to have been. Yeah. Well, that's one of the stories that he, like, would tell over and over, you yeah, know? So, so that, it, was... that really stuck with him. Yeah. Okay, so when Jane started first grade, there was no kindergarten back then. She was thrilled. She loved reading and studying, and she especially enjoyed pleasing her teacher. She would volunteer to clean the blackboards, then revel in the praise the teacher doled out on her. Uh, so she reveled in the praise, Colt, because uh, her, her, she knew her mother loved them. But her mother never really told them she loved them. Oh, okay. It was that type of, like, that was probably the way she was brought up. So, you know. Oftentimes you hear that with fathers. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Well, I don't think the father probably told them that he loved them oh. very much either. But, um, yeah. So she really, really reveled in the praise her teacher doled out. So at Christmas that year, after everyone had left the two-room schoolhouse, crazy, eh? Jane took it upon herself to glue a bunch of Christmas cards to the blackboards, thinking she was doing something nice. Yeah. And after she was done, she was like, oh, this looks so pretty. She you know? nailed them? Glued them. Oh, glued them. Oh, so that's an issue. Jane thought it was stunning, and she assumed the teacher would too. However, the next day, Jane received the strap uh, for her labors but she didn't understand why she got the world title yeah she didn't uh the teacher didn't explain why she was getting the strap see that was a problem back then mm -hmm. they would punish them like that without explaining yeah you hear a lot of like, stories okay, like that my fucking ass hurts for nothing why what did i do from then on little jane became withdrawn and very untrusting in 1957, the family moved to Camp Gagetown in New Brunswick, where Morris had been stationed. Jane's new school was much larger, which she enjoyed, and she became even more of an avid reader and learned to speak fluent French. <clears throat> she got her first bicycle and continued to get high grades in school. It was around this time that Jane met the family next door, more specifically, the daughter named Valerie, who was Jane's age. They became best friends pretty quickly, as children often do. Now, Valerie's parents didn't drink or smoke. So their home became a refuge for Jane, whose father drank nightly and had loud parties. Okay. Imagine what this must have been for must have been like for Jane, like all she had seen from the time she could remember anything was her dad getting fucking just schnozzled every night, you know? And, uh, yeah. Like you. Yeah. Well, I, I watched family get... It wasn't me. I wasn't no, getting drunk you, every night. It wasn't you. Like, no. Uncles. I, I watched people get drunk and argue all the time. Yeah. Growing up. His uncles, his grandmother, my mom. But my mom doesn't drink anymore. No. She doesn't smoke anymore either. Well, she so. wasn't really the problem either. No. No. Yeah. Because they went out a lot. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she was loving when she was drunk with me when I was a kid, of course. Well, she was, yeah. She was very loving. And she didn't drink every night or anything No. God, no. No, like, it was like Friday nights. Yeah. That's it. But like some of the uncles, it was like... A daily thing. Yeah. Which it still is, unfortunately. Um, so one night, Morris and Gladys got all spiffed up to go out. Jane marveled at how happy and just lovely they looked together when they left. 
However, as soon as they got home, they started fighting. Mm. Morris ripped Gladys's dress off, then threw her down and began literally beating her with his fists. Jane and her brother ran out to try to stop him, but he screamed at them to get back to bed. This was just one of way too fucking many times Jane witnessed her father abuse and mistreat her mother. This is probably why she ended up in the predicament she found herself in later. Yeah. Absolutely. Foreshadowing. Soon, Valerie's family was transferred to Hemer, West Germany, and Jane was devastated. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Luckily, just one month later, the Hirschmans were on their way to the same posting. Really? Yep. The family traveled to Quebec and sailed to Europe from there. Jane was sick for her entire 11-day voyage across the Atlantic Ocean. They sailed to Europe. Yep. That's so cool. Yep. Imagine what that's like. No. I don't. I was on a ferry. Well, I was on a the ferry to PEI when I was young and it was fine. I was it was it was huge though. And then the ferry from Kingston to Wolf Island, I was on there like three times and every time I was sick. Because of the like, movement? Yeah, like not puking, but just like, oh. Yeah, I'm worried about that if I ever go on like a cruise or something. There's yeah. a cruise I really want to go on and I feel like. Tell the people what it is. Oh, the Jer the Jericho cruise. Yeah. I'd um, fucking go on that too. That sounds awesome. The Rockin' Wrestling Rager, it's called. <laughs> And you know, you know you're going to be getting drunk with uh, Chris Jericho, for sure. It could happen. Yeah. I'd love to fucking have a few wobbly pops with him. Uh, so the family settled into a small three-bedroom bungalow on the base, and Jane soon reconnected with Valerie, and they became thick as thieves once again. Now, the army gave the families ration cards for beer and tobacco. Definitely for beer. It's Germany. Yeah. Um, and since Valerie's parents didn't drink or smoke, they gave their ration cards to Morris. Because uh, yeah. that's exactly what he needed, right? The Hirschmans lived across the street from a pub, and there was a beer truck that drove through the base periodically. Like an ice cream truck. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like... All the men running out when they hear the fucking beer truck. <laughs> Instead of the ice cream music, it's just like George Thorgood. <laughs> that's, a, that's funny. Uh, so all one had to do was put a sign in the window and the beer truck would stop at your house. Needless to say, the sign was always up at the Hirschman residence. So Jane continued school with her usual excellence in academia and in sports. Oh, I should add, too, that with all this beer, of course, came more fucking brutality against yeah, Gladys. of course. That's a given. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jane continued with her usual excellence in academia and in sports. For spending money, she would babysit and help out at a hairdresser's on the base. She was actually called a headwasher. <laughs> um, Jane also became fluent in German... So now she speaks fluent English, French, and German. Holy shit. That's that is fucking such a young cool. Age. Right? Yeah. It's fucking amazing. Um, and her and Valerie would travel by bus all over Germany and Holland all by themselves. Can you imagine that? Just traveling all over Germany and Holland all by yourself? Yeah. So cool. 
That's amazing. Wow. Once, instead of cash, Jane asked the hairdresser if they could do her hair. They agreed. <clears throat> Pardon me. She went home feeling absolutely beautiful. However, when her father saw her, he said, quote, Who in the hell do you think you are? You made-up whore. Oh She's God. like 14, 15 at the time, okay? Get in the bathroom and wash that shit off your face. And comb your damn hair, unquote. Jane was 14 at the time, and she seldom wore makeup after that, even up into her 30s. Oh, my God. What a mark this man is leaving on his daughter. People, man, I, I just don't get it. No, I don't either. I uh, The first time I wore makeup uh, that my dad saw, every girl starts out with the fucking blue eyeshadow, and I don't know why. It's so <laughs> ugly, but every girl does it. And I came downstairs... And I had makeup on, and my dad said, you look like a circus clown. Go wash that shit off your face. So I did, and then I put my makeup on more subtly, and he was like, okay, that's better. And looking back, like at the time, I was like, geez, harsh, you know? But looking back, I was like, I probably look like a fucking circus yeah. clown. Like, well, he, he was nice about it, at least. Yeah. yeah, as nice as that could be. He was a pretty gruff dude, but fuck, I miss him. Anyway, one day, Jane got home from school to hear her father yelling at her mother. Morris was drunk and had puked all over the living room, so he was shouting at Gladys to, quote, clean this Jesus mess up, unquote. Jane sat on the front steps, and soon her father joined her there. Then, out of no nowhere and completely unprovoked, Morris looked at his daughter and said, quote, I hate you. Unquote. Fuck. Isn't that awful? What a horrible person this guy is. Yep. Yep. She says in the book she likes to think that he was just so drunk he didn't know who he was talking to. Mm, I don't know. But I think that might be wishful thinking on her part. And my computer froze. Yeah, I, I don't know how someone could be like that to their daughter. Yeah. It's hard to be like that to people you don't even know, but your own fucking blood, like, that's not cool. So one day, Jimmy, Morris's younger brother, came to visit. Jimmy was also in the army, and he brought a buddy with him. Now, Jane's parents were out for the night, oh, and Jane was looking after her younger sisters. Once the younger kids were in bed, Jimmy and his friends started drinking, of course. When her uncle passed out, Jane went to bed with her sisters. Locking their bedroom door. Yeah, I know where this is leading. Soon, there was a knock on the door. Then pounding on the door. Then shouting to let him in. It was Jimmy's friend trying to get in at the girls. Jane pushed a big wardrobe in front of the door while trying to console her crying sisters. She then told her little sisters to hide under the bed. Then she went out the window, somehow climbed down the slippery metal staircase and ran to the house where her parents were. Jane told her dad and he fucking headed home in a burning rage. When they returned, the friend had the bedroom door open. The girls were still hiding under the bed. Morris grabbed the dude and threw him, literally threw him down the stairs. Then he again, quite literally threw him out the front door. 
there was probably maybe what Jane didn't see. I mean, he probably got a few shots in there. I know I would have. Yeah. On a later occasion, Jane got home from school and found her mom in bed with a raging fever and blood all over the sheets. Morris got home soon after and he scooped up his wife and rushed her to the hospital. Jane stayed home to look after her sisters and cook dinner and, you know, all that stuff. When she put the girls to bed, she heard her father return. This was when she heard him talking. Quote, Dear God, let Gladys live, please. I don't know what I'd do without her. I love her and I'll never lay another hand on her again. Unquote. Gladys had had a, tub a tubal pregnancy. Do you know what that is? Uh, I have an idea just by based off you saying it. Yeah, that's when the baby, when the egg gets stuck in the fallopian tube and then it starts growing. Mm. And if you let it go long enough, like this... It'll burst it? Yeah. This woman must have been in excruciating pain from that, like before it ever burst. Yeah. Ooh, a friend of mine had that in high school, a tubal pregnancy. Um... The doctors weren't sure she'd survive after such massive blood loss. But a few days later, she was home and recovering nicely. Oh. Strong lady. Did he lay another hand on her? Morris kept his promise. They still fought, but he never physically abused his wife ever again. Wow, okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That's like the old adage, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm, it's really interesting that he actually kept the promise while drinking and stuff. Yep. Yep. He never stopped drinking after that and they still fought, but never touched her Wow. Again. That's it. That's really, that's, that's cool. growth. Yeah. Yeah. Jane was 15 when she got her first boyfriend. Joe was a few years older than her and he too was in the Canadian Armed Forces. He was like 18, 19, something like that. She was forbidden from dating him. But she did anyway. They went for drives on his motorcycle. Hey, I don't know what happened there. His motorcycle? Wow, I just went back down east, eh, real quick? <laughs> uh, Jane, uh, no. Okay. Hi, Colt. What's going on? We good now? Yeah. yeah. They went for drives on his motorcycle, took walks in the rain, because she loved that, and they kissed a lot, of course. Joe even threw Jane a surprise birthday party and gifted her a pretty, delicate little white watch that she just adored, of course. When her father found out, he said, quote, We've got two weeks left here until we go back to Canada. You're grounded until then, unquote. Mm, okay. So, well, I see, I can sort of see that a little bit. Like, it sounds mean, but fathers with their daughters yeah. are like, like my dad used to say, if you have uh if you have a daughter if you have a daughter you got to worry about all of them. If you have a son you got to worry about one of them. Yeah. So it's it's true really. They good fathers anyway are are always scared that their little girls are going to be taken advantage taken of. Taken advantage and, of. Yeah. 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 Um oh one time I got to tell our listeners about the sex talk my yeah. dad had with me. Well that's because as a father and a man, they know how guys think. Exactly. Yeah. So that's... Yeah, I never got that when I was young. I was just like, wow, I'm not allowed to do anything, man. And then I got older and I was like, oh, wow, guys are fucking creeps, man. No wonder. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jane began skipping school in the afternoons in order to be with Joe. 
When Morris found out, he beat Jane with a belt. Mm, okay. So that would have been called just a spanking yeah, at that yeah, time. Yeah, that's what it was. I had spankings. Of that time, Jane said, quote, I wouldn't give him the satisfaction of crying, unquote. <laughs> On her last night in Germany, Jane snuck out to be with Joe. It was that night that Jane lost her virginity. She then took Joe home to meet her family. Her dad was nice enough, and they all sat and talked for about an hour. It was the last night there. He had nothing to worry. He yeah. thought he had nothing to worry about, right? The next day, Jane and Joe cried and promised to be together when he returned to Canada in a few months. Then the family boarded the plane headed for Trenton, Ontario, which uh, there's a big army base in Trenton. Yeah. In case some anybody doesn't know. They stayed in a motel for two nights, then boarded a very cramped train bound for Winnipeg, Manitoba. Jane was literally quite squished between her brother and younger sisters for the whole trip. Ooh. Just reading that, I'm like, oh, claustrophobia. Oh, my yeah. God. I, I would have hung out a window. Trenton to Winnipeg. That's a decent ride, too. Oh, fuck. <clears throat> Upon arrival in Winnipeg, in the middle of winter... It was bitterly cold, and it hurt for Jane to even breathe. Then, a few days later, when Jane bent over to tie her shoes, the pain became way more intense. Gladys took her to the hospital, where it was discovered that she had three cracked ribs due to the uncomfortable train ride, and she'd had the three cracked ribs for however long they she was on the train when they cracked, whenever they cracked on the train, Yeah. and then, like, a week after they got to Winnipeg. Wow. Three cracked ribs. That's why she could hardly breathe in the cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the doctor remarked that Jane must have a high threshold for pain. At the time, Jane didn't know what he meant, but this remark would come back to her years later. Yeah, for now sure. She has a high threshold for pain. The family found a home off base, and Jane started going to a civilian high school. Now, Joe had only written to her once. Oh, that's a problem. Valerie, though also in Winnipeg, went to the school on the base. So Jane was super lonely. Then at the end of the school year, she was devastated to find that she'd failed. The school had failed all the kids returning from Germany, stating that they were a year behind. Oh, man, what? Yeah. Well. That's so unfair. Yeah. They could have given them a little bit of leeway. Or, I mean, couldn't you have told them that when they first started school? Yeah. Like, you're going to have to do some extra work. Or, you know, we have to put you back in this grade or, or something. Or at least Don't just let them go through the year and then go, Ah, oh, well, you're dumb. At least an <laughs> option to go through the summer. Yeah, something. Or something like that. This was the last straw for Jane. A couple that her parents knew were moving back to Nova Scotia and Jane begged to go with them for the summer. Her parents acquiesced, and on the day she left, when she was saying goodbye to her dad, she knew she'd never come back to Winnipeg. The trip sucked because the couple drank and fought, and Jane had to care for their young sons. A few days after they arrived in Nova Scotia, Jane went to live with her grandparents in Liverpool. Her paternal grandparents. Liverpool, Nova Scotia. Right. Right, sorry. Jane thought she'd be safe there. When Jane was 15, she met a man named Milford, or quote-unquote Milfie, why not? Uh, he was nine years older than Jane, but he seemed nice, had a job, and was a good friend of her Uncle Jim. 
that same uncle that was in Germany. So they began dating. One night, Melfi took Jane to his friend's house where everyone was drinking. Jane was quite nervous at first, but everyone was laughing and having a good time playing cards. Which was odd to her. Yeah. Not the sort of party she had grown up around, that's for sure, right? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about... So Jane was dating Melfi. I didn't write this down. I'm just going to relate it to you. Her uncle... No. Her grandma, Mill, was her nickname, uh, didn't like it. So she wrote to Jane's mother and told her a whole bunch of lies about Milfy and that Jane shouldn't be dating him and stuff like that. So then Jane had to go smooth it out with her mother and it's not like her parents could have done much from yeah. there, but still. And then she got home from school. Yeah, I think she started school again there. She got home from school one night, went up to her room and her diary was laying open on her bed. Mm, her okay. grandmother had went through her diary and she was like oh, okay fuck that that's it so she packed up all her shit and then she went to move with her maternal grandparents and they were not very well off so they had still had three kids living in the house and then Jane so you know it was pretty full yeah um so, they continued to date on a regular basis, and they began to have sex eventually, as all couples do. About two months after Jane turned 16... Um, okay, we had to pause that because one of our neighbors, their little gorgeous little dog, was barking, so... Uh, about two months after Jane turned 16, she found out she was pregnant. Oh, okay. When she told Milfy, he said, quote, Well, that's something, ain't it? I guess I have to marry you. When do you want to get married? Unquote. <laughs> Romantic, eh? The next day, she called her mom with the news. When Gladys asked when the wedding was, Milfi pointed to a day on the calendar, Saturday, April 24th, and that was the end of that conversation. The only family Jane had at the wedding was her aunt, Judy. Then they moved in with Milfi's grandparents. Now, Milfi's grandparents did everything for him. He lived there rent-free. His grandmother washed his clothes cooked for him, woke him up in the morning to go to work. Like, this guy was a man-child. Yeah, like, yeah, big yeah. time. Um, so, Milfi wasn't the best husband. He came and went as he pleased, and if Jane asked him where he'd been, he'd tell her it was none of her goddamn business. <laughs> yeah. A couple days after her due date, Jane began to have back pains. When Milfi got home from work that same day, around 5.30, she told him it might be labor pains. He ate, showered, then announced he was going out. <laughs> Fuck. Good guy, eh? Um, when Jane asked where he would be just in case the baby came, he replied, quote, I don't know, but you can try the tavern, unquote. Later that night, she did have to go to the hospital. She was surely in labor, and no one could get a hold of Milfi. At 5.05 a.m. on October 9th, whose birthday is that? John Lennon. Yeah, baby. Jane gave birth to a baby boy named Alan. Milfi didn't visit Jane or his newborn son at all in the hospital. And back in those days, according to my mom, you stayed in the hospital for up to a week. Now it's like, spit the baby out, get out. Um... About 18 months after their wedding, Jane, Milfi, and Alan moved into their new house. 
Jane got a job at a grocery store, and Milfie's grandmother watched the baby six days a week. She worked six days a week. Eight hours a day. Yeah, yeah. She made $29 a week. $29 a week. The next few years passed without incident. Milfie was drinking more, and he was rarely at home, and they had sex whenever he wanted it. You know, same old, yeah. same old. In 1970, when Alan started school, Jane also went back to school to get her grade 10. What does that remind you of? Ricky. Yep. From Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, it's when I was typing it out, I was like, oh my God, getting your grade 10. Uh, yeah. He so wanted his grade 10. Yeah. She completed it with straight A's. Now, isn't it weird that all you needed was your grade 10? Yeah. So weird. That summer, she took Alan to see her parents, who now lived at Camp Borden in Ontario. When they got back home to Nova Scotia, Jane got a weird letter in the mail. There was a picture of a naked woman all caught up like a jigsaw puzzle. The letter said, quote, guess what Milfie was doing while you were away, unquote. She decided not to bring it up with Milfie, but she didn't forget it either. In 1972, Jane enrolled in a typing class and Milfie was no longer working. Milfie was now on pogey or unemployment. Pogey down there. All he did was drink, sleep, wake up, get sick, and start drinking again. Okay. A few days into what? <laughs> okay, I said that's the life. <laughs> Great I guess. life, eh? A few <laughs> days into her course, Jane found out she was pregnant again. She said, uh, "She said she did consider abortion because of her less than stellar marriage, but in the end, she just couldn't bring herself to do it." Yeah. Um, which you know, her choice, whatever. Um, about two months before the baby was born, b -b -b born, I don't know what happened there, Jane heard a rumor that some dude in town had some compromising pictures at her house that were taken when she was in Ontario, okay? Okay. The man used to work with Milfie at the paper mill, and Milfie had given him the pictures when he quit that job. The man and his wife gave Jane the pictures after Jane threatened legal action against them. <laughs> She was like, fuck you, motherfuckers. Give me those pictures. Upon looking at the pictures, Jane said, quote, they were disgusting photos of a naked woman lying on my bed, in my bedroom, in my house. There was a bottle of wine between her legs with the neck shoved into her vagina. I couldn't believe Milfi had done this to me. I felt used and dirty. <clears throat> and there was, and here I was seven months pregnant. My world was crushed, unquote. Soon thereafter, Jane found out that Milfie was still involved with the same woman. Oh, wow. I wonder if they were using the same wine bottle. <laughs> no, they switched it up. <laughs> I wonder, with the wine, do they, they have, like, oh, I have a 1963 Chateau here to shove up your pussy? <laughs> I was saving this for a special occasion. <laughs> oh, man, we are sick motherfuckers in here. Jane's second child, Jamie was born on October 17th, 1972. Very close together, eh? The dates of her yeah. kids. Um, it was an easy birth, but Jane did start hemorrhaging. Now, she hemorrhaged after Jamie, too. After Alan, too. And needed a transfusion. Milfie only visited one time with now seven-year-old Alan. Now, I could see that being because Alan saying, I want to see mommy, I want to see my new brother. Yeah. Not Milfie going, let's go see your mom and the baby. Um, a week or so into the new year in 1976, Milfie came home pissed drunk with a 40 of rum. 
Jane was at her breaking point, so she told him it was either the booze or his family. Milfy kissed the bottle of rum and said, quote, I guess you lose, unquote. <laughs> fucking guy, man. Yeah, this is just a stellar fucking dude, isn't it? Yeah. Jane got her and the boys packed and left for her parents' place in Ontario. The car broke down on the way there, like a stretch of... Was the Trans-Canada Highway built then? I'm not sure. Um, 1972? I don't know. Anyway, this was a stretch of road where there was nothing. And it was winter. It's fucking January. So, the car broke down on the way there, and Jane had to leave the boys in the car, covered in all of their clothes, in order to go get help. There was a foot of snow on the ground, and she had to walk quite a ways to find them. Now, she was just wearing running shoes, a jacket. She didn't have mitts. She didn't have a hat. No winter boots. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. she was not dressed for the weather. Um, an elderly couple helped them out, and the next day, they were back on the road. It turns out that the gas line was frozen. Oh, That's how okay. fucking cold it was. Yeah, that's fucking cold. Yeah. They only stayed a few days with Jane's parents before she wanted to go, quote, have it out with Milfy. So when she got home, Jane told Milfy she wanted a divorce. He said no. He apologized. He begged for forgiveness and all that same shit that those motherfuckers do. But Jane held her ground. So the next day, Jane went to a lawyer and pled her case, even going so far as to show him the compromising picture she had. The lawyer got in touch with Milfy, who vehemently opposed the divorce. So he could not, the lawyer could not grant a divorce to Jane because there were no ground, grounds for a divorce. What? Yeah. So I looked this up. Before 1986, marital breakdown could only be used to get a divorce if the couple had been living apart for three years. Adultery was a means to get divorced. However, Jane had no solid proof that adultery had been committed. I guess she didn't because it was a picture of just the just woman a picture, on a bed. Right. Exactly. So Jane devised a plan in order to get Milfy to divorce her. Upon leaving the lawyer's office, Jane went to a doctor across the street to obtain a prescription for birth control pills because Jane had decided to have an affair in order to force the divorce. Force the divorce! Yeah. <laughs> There was a nice man, a casual friend of Milfy's that Jane had opened up to after a New Year's Eve party. He was friendly, had an engaging smile, and had been a perfect gentleman with Jane. This man was Billy Stafford. Ah, okay. She, she called Stafford and told him her plan. Now, before, Billy had said, I'll help you out with whatever you need if you want to leave this dude, right? She called Stafford and told him her plan, and he said, you know, the offer still stands. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Because, you know, he's such a nice guy. And he agreed right away. Billy testified in court to the affair, and the divorce was final in May. Then, by the end of 1976, Jane and Billy were living together. Jane was so hopeful for their future together. Billy, bleh, Billy was doting and attentive. He once told Jane at the beginning of their relationship, quote, We'll have a good life together. I will always protect you. You won't be hurt anymore. Unquote. All right. So we just paused it there. We are at almost 44 minutes here. Um, these are the backstories of the two main people in the story. I, we don't really want to make you guys sit through too much more. 
So we're going to end with Jane's backstory here and the fact that her and Billy did end up getting together. Yes. Which was, I mean, everybody probably saw that coming as yeah. her name does end up being Jane Stafford. And I feel like I personally feel Jane deserves her own episode with her backstory just because this is really her story. Yeah. And you'll understand when we get to the end of the whole thing why we decided to do this because her story does need to stand alone, sort of. Yeah. Um, Let's put it this way. Uh, Milfie's like a great man compared to what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Very true. So on uh, Friday, we what are we, Tuesday? Yeah. So on Friday, we'll drop another episode, and yeah. then we'll cover Billy's backstory, and then we'll go as much as we can into their relationship. I fear this might be three or four parts, guys, um, just because there's a lot that happened. I don't want to give too much away right now, but yeah. So um, there's going to be three episodes. There's at least going to be three episodes yeah. at least, because I don't think with Billy's backstory, I don't think I'm going to be able to cover their whole relationship. No, we can cover like the first, first few years of their relationship. We'll find a cliffhanger to leave it on to enter episode three. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so this was the story of Jane Stafford. She didn't have the best beginning in life, the poor thing. And she was sort of conditioned to have a not-so-stellar life yeah. as an adult. So, on Friday, we will let you in on that not-so-stellar life. Not that it's been that stellar thus far. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we hope you like this, and uh, guys, speak out about uh, domestic violence, um, intimate partner violence, coercive control. Um, please look up coercive control. Look up DARVO, D-A-R-V-O. This is all from Laura Richards. She is fucking amazing. Please look it up. Get yourself in tune with it. Know what signs to look for. All that stuff, okay? But for right now, please, please, when you're out there, really keep an eye out on people because people are capable of... Any crime at all. That's for hey, sure. You didn't... That wasn't the, your best lead in there. No, it wasn't. You said people twice. I didn't like that. People, people? Yeah. Did I say people, people? Okay. <laughs> the word has lost all meaning. Anyway... Uh, we'll see you on Friday, and we love you, and uh, bye!